Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. Around here, we love talking about movies that we watch, rewatch, and watch again because they're just that good. It's the thoughtful details, the little things other movies don't have that keep us coming back. Here's the deal. When it comes to insurance, we can't get enough of State Farm. They have all the details we appreciate. They make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim through their app, which was awarded Best Insurance Mobile App 2019. Yeah, that happened. Thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that meets your individual needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. Best of all, they give it to you straight. No gimmicks, no games, just guidance you can count on. It's a no-brainer. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. We are still cranking out content on the ringer.com and the ringer podcast network, even though everybody is hopefully staying safe out there and quarantining themselves and doing what they have to do. Unless they have a job that's out there helping us. The book of basketball podcast is where you can find the redraftables. Don't ask me why it took three days in a reader email to realize that we should be calling Redraft the Palooza, the Redraftables. I mean, what are we doing? I'm right now. I'm on a podcast called The Rewatchables, but uh, we've been redrafting drafts. We did 96, 97, 98, 99 is coming a little bit later this week. You can find all of them on the Book of Basketball podcast. We've also done. We did one on mine that double ran on there, and then one on Rosillo. So, uh, if you want to relive. Some, just some terrible mistakes and epic head-scratching decisions from 96, 97, 98, 99. Check all of those out. They're also, at least a couple of them are on YouTube as well. Don't forget to check out the Ringer YouTube channel, by the way. We're almost at 250,000 subscribers. Very excited about that. And we have a bunch of really, really great stuff up there. We have not stopped figuring this stuff out. Uh, we are probably going to two rewatchables a week going forward, at least while everybody's got the, got the uh, time to listen to them and everybody else is just bored and wants to talk about anything that is not about everything that's happening right now. Wanted to tell you about world central kitchen, WCK.org. They're doing a whole bunch of awesome stuff. Check out hashtag chefs for America as well. That's part of that. Um, they expanded to Los Angeles, which is near and dear to my heart because I live there. Uh, they partnered with America Red Cross, Los Angeles region, L.A. County, the Unified School District to begin meal distribution to families in L.A. And uh, if you want to follow them on Twitter, you can. That would be at WC Kitchen. If you want to donate to them, all the links are on there. And that's a good one to donate because especially like the one that I donated to, which helps the frontline workers in L.A., uh, not only are you donating meals to people that are out there fighting for us and helping us, but uh, you're also helping some of the local restaurants too. So please check all of that out. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you are making good decisions. I hope you're listening to the experts and the scientists and the doctors, and I hope your family as well, all that stuff. We're going to try to take your mind off all of it with one of our favorite comedies of the past 25 years, which is having a little anniversary this week. You can read more about Chris Farley on the ringer.com as well. So don't forget to check out. Cause we ran a couple pieces about him this week, but right now, Tommy scram. Don't give her the weight room thing. Tommy boy <laughs> coming up next. Education laid the foundation. I got a D plus. Heredity opened the door oh. and dedication took it from there. 
Do we really want to put the future of the company in Tommy's hands? Paramount Pictures presents... <laughs> it's a clip, huh? <laughs> Are you sure? Chris Farley. That's going to leave a mark. David Spade. Yikes. Tommy Boy. Did you live under power lines as a kid or something? Rated PG-13. All right, three different locations. Sean Fantasy is here. First ever rewatchables appearance. The Cuz, Cuz itself. Wow. All right. I'm already behind the eight ball. I can't believe how good everybody looks. Like this is. I, I feel like I'm in day 73 of quarantine, and uh, <laughs> Fantasy's just coming back from the mall. Look at him. Look at his hair there. This is ridiculous. I got to make up for it somehow. Did you pay somebody <laughs> to come to your house in a hazmat suit and cut your hair? Because it seems like you did. I've been watching a lot of YouTube tutorials on how to cut hair. So, you know, just got my own barbershop going in the house. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, 1995, uh, you guys are both giant Mets fans. Not significant from a Mets fan standpoint. Although <laughs> Sal, Sal did say you did get rid of Bobby Bonilla that year, maybe. But other than that, the Mets went 69 and 75. The good news, um, Tommy Boy came into our lives. Yes. The 25th anniversary was this week. We actually had this scheduled for next month. And uh, I just screwed up. I didn't realize it was actually this week. It's weird that this movie wasn't like massively successful right away because I do feel like it's one of the most successful comedies of the last 40 years. And he, and I think by 2004, people came around and in the research, it was stuff about like by 2004, it was one of the 10 biggest um, VCR slash DVD purchases of anything and all that. So why wasn't this movie a massive hit immediately? I don't understand it. I think it took, uh, I think it brought in $32 million and it cost $22 million to make. So it wasn't a massive hit. I think Black Sheep, the follow up, did almost exactly the same numbers. But yeah, you, as far as rentals go, it was, uh, it was tops. I mean, and everybody talked about it. It was a cult hit. I don't get it. I don't know why people didn't take, like, I think this would have been this comedy duo of Spade and Farley. It's already ranked there in the top like 10 or 15. But if they bust out like one more movie or two more movies, it's undeniable that they're right up there with like Abbott and Costello. And uh, right. and uh, yeah, right. Like like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and uh, uh, the My Pillow guy and Donald Trump. Like you throw any comedy <laughs> duo at me. I think this can be if they could have just eked out one more movie. And then like maybe like three more presentations at an Oscars. Like you're looking at, OK, these two. They're the they're the shit, but I don't know why it didn't count, uh, take on right away. Sean, when did you fall in comedy love with Chris Farley? The first time I saw him on Saturday Night Live, which is one of the great moments of my life. Um, I think Chippendales is the first sketch I ever saw him do because it was like a phenomenon for people, and people videotaped that episode and they would share that videotape. I think yeah. it's funny what Sal is saying though. I think one of the reasons why it wasn't such a huge hit is because the people who love this movie and want this movie were stoned at college and not going to movie theaters. And when they got the movie on home video, they became obsessed with it. And you could just put it on every single day of your life and learn every word. And just like all those Farley sketches on SNL, watching this movie again, it's like listening to a great pop song. Like I just know the rhythm of every single line of every single yeah. joke. It's just tattooed on my brain. It's crazy. And you know, when you're when you're when you're stoned to college, it's it's useful to have something that you don't have to think too hard about. And we had a lot of great comedies in the mid '90s. It was just an unusually good run. That's when Jim Carrey had his big run. There's something about Mary's coming out like '97, '98 range. So there was this five year rejuvenation window. But like for me with Farley, you know, I'm 
me and Sal are old enough to remember when Belushi was on SNL and Belushi was, um, I, I never really watched SNL until they started doing the primetime kind of the best of shows. And that was yeah. what got me into it. Um, and Belushi was is just like, who's this? Like, this is my favorite person I've ever seen in my life. So when I was such a big Belushi guy, when Farley comes on the show and he's Midwest guy, kind of the same, same arc. He's, he's, he's big, he's physical. He, he, he's kind of on Belushi's corner. So your instinct is I'm suspicious of this guy, but I also love this guy. And I, I, I hope, I hope this happens. And you yeah. watch him on SNL start to get, you know, he's always the funniest person, even in bad scenes. Your eyes just gravitate to him. And at some point it became clear he was going to make a movie. But uh, Sal, do you remember watching him on those SNL things and your reactions? I do. And I'm going to say something very controversial here. You may even want to cut this. Chris Farley blows John Belushi away. He blows him away. Yes, he's Sal. John yes. Belushi. He's John Belushi with personality. I mean, imagine if you had Tiger Woods, but um, in between birdies, the Tiger Woods, the new version, the Chris Farley version, is doing cartwheels on the green. Like that's <laughs> Chris Farley versus John Belushi. Belushi's great. He's understated. You talk about one note. That's him. He, he provided a lot of great comedic moments. But I'm new to the rewatchables. But correct me if I'm wrong. I think Belushi hits the most rewatchable on in like three genres. First of all, this movie, first as comedies go, Tommy Boy is right up there. Oh, Farley, uh, you S- mean, not Bushy. I'm sorry, Farley, yes. He hits uh, this uh, SNL moment, most rewatchable. Obviously, the Chippendale scene is right up there. I was uh, meant to think that I was wrong for thinking that was funny. I've read a lot of things that say it's, it's terrible, like it's, it's, uh, it's fat shaming, but and then I watched no. Tommy Boy and there's like 700 fat jokes in it. It's like, all right, I think he was probably okay with it. And then the third thing is you're not going to get a more rewatchable talk show entrance. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here. This was to uh, promote Black Sheep uh, the following year. Chris Farley's entrance on Letterman was just phenomenal. I mean, you're right. never, ever going to top it. Comes down the aisle. He's high-fiving everyone. He grabs a, a, a spectator in the second row who we later find out as a writer dumps him in the trash, fireman's carries him over to the trash, then throws him in there. Obviously, it was set up. Does two cartwheels to Letterman, has to mic himself up, and has to catch his breath to promote the movie. And it's like Dave was at his best, too, jabbing away. Is like, maybe maybe too much candy? Uh, and Farley's like, oh, the holidays were brutal. And um, <laughs> it's just great. Movie, SNL moment, and uh, talk show entrance. Like, he hit all three. It was terrific. And all the research and everything ever written about Farley and all these guys and Sandler, I even asked him when, uh, when him and KG were on my pod, it's just like, so you got Farley there, you have Sandler, you have Norm MacDonald for the, for the second part, at least Chris Rock, Spade, and all these guys become really close. And all of them are like, Farley was so much funnier than all of us. Like just constantly constantly funny. Like Sandler always tells a story about how Farley took a shit out the window <laughs> at, the, at 30 rock and with the shit dropped 30 stories. And just all he wanted to do is make everybody else laugh. He seems like he would have been the greatest person that ever could have been 
you know, on your floor in college. Yeah. Like we're gonna be like, oh my God, we hit the lottery with this guy. He's insane. He's hilarious. Simmons, and you, I think- you've seen you've seen my friends. Like, you know I am attracted to fat guys who like to create chaos, right? And <laughs> add to the fact that he has like a, a, an international appeal where he can make people entertain like real people, not just idiots like me. And you have Chris Farley, and that's what just made him terrific, I think. And I think that's why, Sean, this is why I love Tommy Boy the most, because it's rare that a movie can capture all of that. Like even Belushi, if you look at all of Belushi's movies, Animal House taps into it probably the closest, but Belushi never had his Tommy Boy. You go through his IMDb, like Blues Brothers, he's got sunglasses on the whole time. He doesn't even have like his Caddyshack necessarily. And Farley, whose movie career is really spotty, I actually really like him in Dirty Work. I was glad Justin Sales shouted out Dirty Work and The Ringer. That's another movie. I don't understand why that movie didn't do well. But uh, but Tommy Boy, you get the full 100% Farley in that, right, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I agree with what Sal said, controversial as it might be. I think the only thing you have to say is there is no Farley without Belushi. Like, you know, Farley looked right. up to Belushi so much, idolized him. To the point of like excess and danger, you know, he clearly like copied a lot of the the drug use stuff and really tried to try to make a mirror image. The difference is, and I think the reason that I like Farley more and the reason that I think Farley is still so beloved is because in addition to just being that chaos agent that Sal's talking about, he's also um, he's very sweet. You know, it's like when you're watching a movie, you're there with him. Like you believe in him. You love his character. The Tommy Boy character is probably the most likable guy that he ever made, too. And the reason the movie works so well is because you're rooting really hard for him. I still found myself like getting fired up for when they sold half a million brake pads at the end of the movie. I was like, fuck yeah, Tommy, you did it, man. (laughs) So, so I think that he just he has something uh, a little bit more emotional in his in his range, too, that. That Belushi, especially in the latter half of his career, is like more reserved. He's more cool. And Farley is like a big, big, dumb, sweet animal. Right. Belushi, I think, was a better kind of actor, but you didn't really see it except for SNL. In SNL, they really challenged him and he did some some high level stuff on that show. Like they like, I think at the end of season one, there's a big Star Trek that's like a famous sketch where he's Kirk. And he just like completely nails Shatner. I don't, I don't think Farley had the ability to nail characters like that. But I'm with you. I'm with both of you guys. I think he's kind of the evolutionary Belushi. He he tapped into all the stuff that I think we all loved about Belushi and put it on steroids. And it's not like if you're going to compare it to basketball, it's like how Belushi was like Dr. J, and then you know, Farley comes in and he's, he's Jordan. He's like, all right, I see all the stuff you're doing. Now I'm going to like dunk from the, you know, dunk right. from the foul line in games and do shit like that. I, Sal, it's, it's such a bummer. We didn't have more Belushi, but at the same time, it, it all these years later, it kind of feels like maybe that's how that should have worked out. Like he was like this flame that just kind of went violent, went flying through our lives. Uh, unlike some of these other people, like Belushi in 2020 could have, I don't know, been sad in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny. It's like um, when you see these appearances on Letterman and everything else, and it's like, oh, my God, he could have died there. He could have expired there. He could have. We're kind of lucky that we got actually what we did out of him. He was so reckless. And so um, (laughs) he just didn't really care about himself. And the, the, the stories the actors tell about him 
you know, uh, it, it brings that to a different level. It's like a hundred times what we're able to see on screen, which is pretty, uh, pretty devastating. Well, and they also had so much more intelligence about somebody with a, with a drug problem. You know, yeah. Belushi is running amok basically from the third SNL season through. So 1978 till he dies. And, you know, everybody was doing drugs back then. And people didn't really totally understand that cocaine was this devastating drug that it was. It wiped out a lot of comedians, actors, athletes, everybody for like an eight-year stretch there. By the mid-90s, people knew how bad this stuff was. And, you know, there's been a lot of good... The Farley oral history book is good. There's also been a lot of good stuff written about him. And the recurring theme is people did try to help him over and over again. He went to rehab like 12 times. There were interventions galore. And at some point, you kind of realize you can't do anything else more than that. He, He famously came back and hosted SNL right near the end. And there's still people in his life that are kind of bitter at Lorne Michaels that he even did that because he was in such rough shape. The show's not that great, um, but was just somebody that just couldn't stay out of his own way. But Tommy Boy, he seems like he's, I feel like he's at the peak of his powers and he looks pretty good. I mean, obviously he's heavy in the movie, but he doesn't have that drug look to him yet. Um, And I don't know. I'm glad it captures him for a hundred minutes. All the yeah. stuff we loved. Uh, what else, Sean? What else about this movie stands out from a movie nerd standpoint? Um, I wouldn't say it's the most uh, sophisticated cinematic achievement, but I don't really think that that matters. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't. It, these movies are not designed for that. It's so funny when we when we're doing this show and we go back and look at the reviews of movies like this. Always the comedies, the reviews of the comedies seem insane 10, 20, 30 years later where people are taking the material so seriously and not understanding what the purpose of a movie like this is. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about Roger Ebert's review of the movie, but um, I think just generally speaking, all you need is great chemistry between Spade and Farley and a story that people can get involved in and just let Farley loose every 12 minutes. Every 12 minutes, he's got to do something ridiculous. Yeah. And you have a you have a great comedy. You have like a great com- movie that works for 12-year-olds and and 35-year-olds equally well. And like I don't it doesn't matter how the movie's shot or whether the story like totally makes sense. There's some problems with the story, but it's not really not that big a deal. Like as long as they're just letting Farley loose and giving Spade, you know, between 25 and 55 incredibly acerbic lines, the movie's going to be great. I watched with the whole family last night, including my six-year-old, because I know there's 10, 15, 20 great um, physical comedy moments. And, you know, he hits it right off the bat of first scene or first five minutes in. He face plants. He's at his uh, fraternity there, or maybe it was with the rugby team. He face plants onto the table and that's it. And then you're you're off and rolling. And um, Sean said it too. You mix in the David Spade lines. And it's kind of crazy because, you know, you're rooting for him. This is if there was ever like a biopic on Chris Farley, like this is it. Like it actually considers his roots. I think he went to Marquette and in the movie he went to Marquette and it took him seven years to graduate, which is great. And he played rugby. I know he played football. He was like all county uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. This takes place in Sandusky, Ohio, which, by the way, we could talk about Sandusky. It seems okay to discuss Sandusky where it's not related to the terrible, terrible uh, tragedy that occurred at Penn state. All of a sudden it's uh, unfortunately the same name as the city. It, uh, it uh, takes place in here, but yeah, Farley, it was all Chris Farley. And, and Sean says the sweetness is brought out and how he saves the town and everything else, but it really is him in a nutshell. You know, it has 
two really good premises that just transfer depending on what the movie is. One is the the Fredo Corleone piece of just yeah. like, oh, this guy's <laughs> a fuck up. Now he's going to be in charge of something. That's always going to work in a movie. And we've seen people do that a hundred times. And then the second piece, as soon as they're on the road, the movie takes off. And we've seen this in a hundred different movies. As soon as you're in the car and you're going places, that's always going to be the best part of a movie. And this movie understood those two things. And then what Sean said about just, can you make sure every 12 minutes Farley does something? You know, it's like when they made, when they made Caddyshack, you know, which was like a cocaine, you know, fueled mess in a lot of ways. And structurally it's a movie that makes no sense, but at some point they realized they just didn't have a scene with Chevy Chase and Bill Murray in it. And they just kind of audible that night golf scene, which yeah. if you watch Kaidashek, that scene makes no sense. It it makes <laughs> zero sense. It has no relation to any other part of the movie. There's no reason for it, but it's clear that they were just like, oh shit, we don't have a Chevy Chase Bill Murray scene. Tommy Boy handles this much smarter. They're like, hey, you know, just let Farley cook. Give yeah. the chef his tools. Let him go. I think the revelation was Spade because, you know, Spade was mid-level SNL guy. He hit with a couple of sketches, but was not somebody that you ever would have expected would have carried a movie. And we'll get into some of the casting what ifs later. But, you know, this was this was when Spade really became Spade. Hollywood Minute had taken off. Um, he kind of found like whatever his voice persona is and that kind of led to everything else that came after for him. Couple uh couple things I wanted to hit before we get to the categories. This isn't technically an SNL movie because Tommy was not a an SNL character, but I do feel like it's an SNL movie. Um they're still on the cast when they're making it. It it's two SNL people. It's SNL people behind the scenes. It feels SNL-ish to me. I think if you're just gonna say best SNL kind of adjacent comedy. I think this is probably it because Wayne's Wayne's world. I don't feel like has had the same kind of legs. What do you guys think? Is there one you would put above this? I think it's probably Wayne's world blues brothers and Tommy boy are the three best, most beloved, even though this one isn't like you say, based on characters from the show. Um, I still think this is the funniest one. I think Wayne's world is the best movie the movie that you like the most that has the most iconic stuff in it. Um, Blues Brothers is it's kind of similar to the Belushi conversation. Like I get why it was important. It doesn't hold up as well as the older it gets. And I'd be curious to know, like, like Sal, like did your kids love this movie. Is it holding up yeah. 25 years later? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's exactly what you said. It's the 12 minute formula. I think 12 is actually a good number too. like every 12 minutes. He has to, you know, it's dumb to compare it to the Incredible Hulk. But Bill Bixby had to Hulk out twice in the hour, right before like the 28 minute mark. And then like at the 54 minute mark and I was like, okay, let's relate that to a movie such as Tommy Boy. And we have to obviously pick up the pace and it's every 12 minutes that uh, he has to do this. But and it's funny because you talk about how. All right. As far as SNL movies, this really, really came from an office relationship, like this whole thing, like obviously David Spade is stepping up the nerdiness. Like we all know this know-it-all nerd. We all know uh, we have many of these in our life. There's like 20 of them working at the ringer right now. We, we may not want to admit, <laughs> but no, but you know what I'm saying? The, it's, it, it's, it's, and, but you might want to say like, you're rooting for 
uh, Farley the whole time. When they battle, when they have a fight, you're also thinking it's funny that Spade gets the best of them, you know? Doesn't yeah. make any sense that he would, but he picks up a two by four and finishes them off, and the lines in between are great. But so you're actually rooting for both, even though you should be rooting for Farley the whole time. So it's written by Terry and Bonnie Turner, who had done Wayne's World and Coneheads, Win Worlds 2, the Brady Bunch movie. They eventually went to create Third Rock from the Sun in that 70s show. They are very successful. They've made a lot of money doing this. So there's good people behind the scenes. Lauren Michaels was involved. Um, they had Farley at probably the most coherent. He was going to be in the mid nineties before he really started to have some issues. I think black sheep had two issues. One was they barely had a script when they started filming. And the other was, I think he was in rougher shape. It made 32.7 million. As Sal said, it hits, it, it comes out in 95 but around 96 range, that's when the home video experience really goes to another level. That's when D- 96 is when DVDs start to take off yeah. and everybody is start, start looking at like, what are, what are the first 10 DVDs I want to get? Tommy Boy, for a lot of different reasons, was one of the first comedies anybody wanted. And then that's when the blockbuster era combined with the DVD era combined with the cable era, which was the other piece of this, which was... Sure the HBO Cinemax run, TBS, TNT, Comedy Central. And it's just on all the time for five years. And, you know, this podcast is called The Rewatchables. This is one of those movies where if it's like, oh, he's about to do Fat Guy in a Little Coat, I'm staying. And <laughs> it has all these different beats like that. So Sean mentioned the uh, the reviews, which were not kind. We always do Roger Ebert in this spot. This is the all-time roughest Roger Ebert moment I think ever. Yeah. He gave this movie it's, one star. He put dark. it on his he put it on his most hated list. He had a most hated list which was normally reserved for movies like Showgirls. Put it on most hated. He wrote, "Quote, Tommy Boy is one of those movies that plays like an explosion down at the screenplay factory. You can almost <laughs> picture a bewildered office boy, his face smudged with suit, wandering the ruins and rescuing pages at random." Too bad they didn't mail them to the insurance company instead of filming them. Very well written. Horrendous take. Sean, defend your boy. Come get him. <laughs> I, got, I have no defense. I have no... I, I, Roger Ebert is a very important person in film history for film literacy to make regular people understand why movies are meaningful. But uh, as usual, when it comes to broad comedies, Raj, Raj sucks. He just doesn't it was get a it. Hole. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand why these movies work well. He was like a basketball player who just couldn't go left. Comedies yeah, yeah, were his, yeah. I can't go left with a comedy. It's up. I don't want to psycho, psychoanalyze the late Roger Ebert too much, but I, I do think that Tom, you know, Tommy Boy and Chris Farley's weight as the center of a lot of the comedy might be informing some of this stuff too. Might have, might have, been, might have been a little sensitive to some of that stuff. Well, I'd say I went the other way. So now, now I'm getting a better perspective, but I, I say we fat guys need to stick together and shame on you, Roger Ebert. Look at this guy. Like I said, he's doing cartwheels, making us laugh with his weight. He's using it to his advantage. Um, you know, it's uh, it's the same reason I love Kevin Duckworth and uh, Rick Russell and, uh, and Oliver Miller in sports. Oliver Miller. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, not great for Raj. Uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to do the categories. Hey, wanted to take a quick break to tell you about a couple of charities that I just really respect what they're doing right now. One of them we mentioned earlier in the podcast, World Central Kitchen. 
WCK.org is the website. Hashtag Chefs for America you can find on Twitter or you can follow them at WC Kitchen. They're doing a whole bunch of good stuff with feeding the front line of the people that are, um, you know, the medical workers, the doctors, the nurses, ICU, all those people who are working human shifts right now trying to help us and trying to save lives and also putting their own lives at risk. Um, and guess what? They need to eat sometimes. And guess what else? There's a lot of local restaurants right now that uh, are in real trouble because nobody can go to a restaurant. So World uh, Central Kitchen is kind of helping merge those two things, taking care of the people on the front lines, people who need meals, but also trying to work into the uh, local restaurants too. I would encourage you to go there wck.org and check out all the great stuff they're doing. And since we're talking about people giving meals, feedingamerica.org is another really good one. They have a a bank of over 200 food banks uh, tied to different cities and communities. And they're trying to get meals out to as many people as possible. So if you have the means or if you have the time and maybe you have both, go check out those sites and and uh, maybe you can help a couple people and get some meals to people that really need them right now. Okay, back to the podcast. All right, so the categories. We always start with most rewatchable scene. And sometimes we have an issue with this one because there's movies like this this movie where the concept of a scene is kind of amorphous, where yeah. the, this is almost like two, two and a half minute bits that aren't technically scenes. So, te- you know, Honestly, I could have had 20 in here. So I, I, I'm I, going to list the ones I had. And if I left anything out, step in. So the first one, it, it, the opening credits are phenomenal. Yeah. The starting out with the little kid running and then shifting to older Chris Farley and then him graduating and him falling through. Like as Sal said, such a good way to pull people in. And movies like this so often fuck up the opening credits. And this is like, in my opinion, the perfect way to do the opening credits where the movie's just going. It's not mm-hmm. credits with like sh- wide shots of different things. There's actually like comedy in the credits. So you guys down with that one? Yeah, for sure. It, sh- okay. it shows you who the character is right away. Yeah, he's literally Next. running running through the credits and speeds up the credits, which is usually the most boring part of the movie. So yeah, it was, it was nice. And then if you're watching this in the moment, if you love Farley from SNL the, and you're worried about, uh-oh, they made a Farley movie. I hope they don't fuck this up. The first four minutes, like, oh, okay, I get it. They're, they're not yeah. going to fuck this up. Next one, uh, Tommy sees his dad for the first time and they they put the hard hat on and they go and look at the stuff and <laughs> Farley's doing kung fu against these things. Yeah, he's you know he's going to get hit and... uh Spade is just completely dismissive of him. He ends up getting a new office and that whole thing. It's really nicely set up and they nicely set up the whole, oh, Spade's going to hate this guy. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. Take Tylenol for any headaches. Might offer any cramps. Shut up. The next one. This is my personal favorite. I don't know if it's most rewatchable, but Tommy on the boat with Julie Hmm. Warner. (laughs) and they do the first of all it starts with Farley talking about his how his father just died and there's like real acting from Farley like like his 
he's I, he's almost crying. His eyes are glistening, and he's like kind of yeah. going for it. It's 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 touching. And mm-hmm. then it does the wide shot. You see the boat and the boat's almost sinking on one side. Like, you know, <laughs> Julie Warder weighs like 70 pounds. And then it, then the kids start heckling him and they're doing, Hey Gilligan, did you eat the skipper and all that? He's getting madder. And then she steps in and ends it. <laughs> you were saying, Hey Gilligan, did you eat the skipper? <laughs> you better pray to the God of skinny punks that this wind doesn't pick up. Cause I'll come over there and jam an oar up your ass. Jeepers, creepers. Those guys keep interrupting us. I'm sorry about that. You were saying about the, um... Hey, lady, look out! There's a fat whale on your boat! Yeah! Free Willy! <laughs> Listen up, you little spazoids! I know where you live and I've seen where you sleep. I swear to everything holy that your mothers will cry when they see what I've done to you! That's a perfectly crafted scene. What do you guys think of that one? Yeah, he's a pretty, pretty surprisingly good actor, which is part of what I was talking about, where you feel really connected to him. Um, I don't know. I, I would say, I don't want to get ahead of picking nits here, but I, I would probably be a little bit more afraid of Tommy Boy than Julie Warner. That's just just putting that out there. Chris <laughs> right. Farley, when he ratchets it up to 11 and screams, is definitely seems like he would eat you alive. And right. uh, I, I, I was never totally sold on Julie Warner's, you know, I know where you live and I know where you sleep. Bit, she knew but where they live, Sean. It's it's so different <laughs> when you know where someone lives. No, I'm I, I with guess you. So. Here, here's why I think you're right, Simmons. Uh, that scene is so important that they brought it back for the the ending scene. Like they didn't have an ending to this movie. And then like, oh, let's go back to the boat. That was sweet. He'll be on it alone this time. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's telling and it's, and it's nice and it moves along nicely and it, and it lends itself not perfectly to an ending. I did a Wikipedia search of Julie Warner just to kind of see if there's anything I can learn. <laughs> she's listed at five, two. Hmm. I, I think she's like four, nine, four, 10. Like she seems way tinier than five, two. You just really? turned this into a draft podcast. What's happening? No, I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a quarterback. It's like Drew Brees says he's 6'2". He's right. definitely 5'10". But she, I, she didn't throw at the combines, so we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> There's one scene when she's at the amusement park when she sees Rob Lowe and, uh, right. and Bo Derek kissing, and she's talking to one of the board members, and she's actually walking on an elevated curb next to him so they can see relatively the same size. So that's why I love the boat because that just the image of that boat with, and how it almost seems like it's going to (laughs) capsize on Farley's side. It's just really great. Uh, Next one is another classic. Tommy's first sales meeting, um, which completely falls apart when he starts reenacting the car accident and does the new guys in the corner puking his guts out. (laughs) Fucking kills me. And your family screaming, oh my God, we're burning alive. No, I can't feel my legs. In comes a meat wagon. And the medic gets out and says, oh my God. New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. All because you want to save a couple extra pennies. (laughs) And to me, it doesn't get out. That whole scene... Anyone who doesn't laugh during that entire scene, like, doesn't is dead inside. That's all I could say. 
I watched with my family. Obviously, it was my six-year-old's first time seeing it. And I asked him as I put him to bed, what was your favorite part of the movie? And he said it was that. And I was on the fence of that being my favorite scene. But so they get a bunch of no's. He's going out. They're on the road. They're trying to sell these brake pads. And they're getting no, no, no. And that was the first maybe, which opened it up for him. And as a viewer, you're cringing. I mean, it's hilarious, but you're also cringing because it was their only opportunity to make a sale. And you know everything's going to end up good in the end, but it was their only opportunity to make a sale. And he's screwing it up and he's setting all these model cars on fire and doing <laughs> basically a one-act play. While was, and, and Spade shooting darts at him is the greatest uh, to compliment the scene. So that, I agree, that would be my favorite, most rewatchable. That that was what I was going to say was a fun way to watch this movie is to just watch Spade's reaction to everything yeah. Farley does. He's in such horror at everything <laughs> that Farley is doing in that scene in particular. It's, it's, it's a really, really great one. New guys in the corner puking his guts out is fucking <laughs> iconic. It's so good. It, it comes in off the top rope, right? As it's already hilarious. And then he says that. Um, that also like, that scene directly leads to the gas scene when Tommy gets the gas and breaks the door <laughs> and he's fixing it and then Richard touches it and the door falls. What'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> What'd you do? Which which my son does all the time. My son just right. broke. I have, a, you know, I have like five of these WWE glasses. Look nice. at this big John, big uh. John stud one. Isn't that great? So last week, my son knocked one over and I came into the kitchen because I heard something and and he's like, you put the glass on the table and it fell over. (laughs) And I'm like, that's definitely not what happened. That was 20 minutes ago. And he just he's got it's like when Sal is when Sal does the tongue on the side of his mouth thing. I, I just know when my son's lying. Right. And I'm like, you knocked it over. Just admit you knocked it over. He's like, no, it, it fell off the table. But that reminded me of the Richard, what'd you do? Um, Benny Boy. By the way, Benny Boy would be a great sequel to this movie. Um, oh, it might happen. <laughs> when, he, when he takes over the ringer. That's right. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sean, Sean just filed his two weeks. Um, <laughs> he unloads all the weapons he bought on Amazon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next one, I'm just stringing together because these are four mini scenes that are all awesome. But if you guys want to separate all these out. So this movie basically goes from fat guy in a little coat, Mm. which there's a whole story about we'll tell later. But that is so fucking funny. And it's probably that scene and and, uh, when he breaks, sets the model cars on fire, the two scenes people remember probably the fastest. It goes to the Carpenter's sing-along. When they're mm-hmm. changing the radio and they end up on the carpenters and they kind of look at each other and then they're belting out. Then that leads to the car accident, the fight scene in front of the prehistoric whatever. <laughs> and then the diner with the waitress. Yeah. That's like boom, 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 boom for like 10 minutes. So I'm submitting that as an entire rewatchable stretch. Oh. Bend, bending the rules a little bit. A lot of bang for your buck there. Yeah, for sure. Favorite of those four, Sal. For just uh, those those four bits. I think the Carpenters. I think, and I was trying to think of a better, so I, I, Superstar comes on and they're going back and forth. They First, they change the station twice because they don't like each other's songs and that comes on and obviously it's, uh, I'm all right with it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Talk about lame. <laughs> totally. 
You can change it if you want. I don't care. It's up to you. I can live with it if you can. Suit yourself. Then it comes to the crescendo of baby, 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 oh, baby. The way they cut it is perfectly done. Yeah. And it's, I don't think there could be a better song. Like maybe like something by Air Supply, but I don't even think so. I think the Carpenters was the ideal choice for that uh, scene. Sean, what's your favorite out of those four bits? I love this sing-along callback when they do Eris 2 later in the movie, too. Yeah, That's right. incredible. They go bilingual. <laughs> um, I... It's I, I probably my favorite stretch is the one that you talked about at the end there where all of that road trip stuff is happening all at once. The moment in particular when he's with the waitress and he starts doing his spiel and he's, you know, his pretty little pet and he's got the biscuit and he destroys the biscuit <laughs> in front of the waitress and she, just deadpan. She's like, God, you're sick. Oh, I killed it. I killed my sale. <laughs> that's when I blow it. That's when people like us have got to forge ahead, Helen. Am I right? God, you're sick. Like, it's just <laughs> such an amazing line reading from that woman. Um, I, that's probably my favorite stretch of the movie. But there's a lot of like little stuff, too, that we didn't talk about that is kind of like it's just kind of lodged into my brain. Like, um, we, you know, you talked about the first meeting with Big Tom and Tommy after he gets back from college. But when Richard picks Tommy up from the airport and we see Tommy's suitcase, and then when the M&Ms go inside of Richard's car, <laughs> and they're like, your brain's the one with the shell on it, and all that stuff. <laughs> like, when you just see them kind of hating each other right away, is so, so yeah. great. I, it's hard to pick a category like this, though, because of what you're saying. Like, it is basically 65 sketches stitched together with these, yeah. you know, all kind of centered around these two characters. But I'll, I'll go with, specifically with the diner scene is my favorite. Also, that that has the mark thing too, where he's like, "Richard, do I have a mark on my face? No, do I have a mark on my face? No, it looks fine." <laughs> the diner scene, and you know, it bugged me a little bit because that's the pivotal moment that Richard and and uh, and and Farley's character they realize that he does have this ability to sell. I think they could have hit that harder. He kind of accidentally got her to make the wings to go back to the reopen the kitchen, which was closed. Um, they were only serving cold stuff. Um, but I don't know. He was just being a jackass. And I don't know that Richard would have been like the light bulb would have gone off. I'm like, Hey, you got something here, kid. You know, I, I just don't, I don't know. I think they could have hit that a little harder, but it all worked out in the end. I do like the idea of somebody being so pathetic though, that you have to give them money. Like that's ultimately the takeaway is yeah. that he's so messed up that you're like, all right, fine. I guess I'll help you out. Right, right, mm. right. <laughs> Last one I have for rewatchable is when, when the girl goes in the pool and Spade's thinking about spanking it, and Tommy catches him, <laughs> fucking kills me. The Richard, what are you doing? And then he just rips off over and over again the Buddy Wackett, the Yankees. Yeah. <gasps> Richard, were you watching Spanked Revision? Okay, then let's hit it. Maybe you were watching a movie with that funny comedian. Oh, what's his name? Buddy Wackett? All right, then let's get some shut eye. Hey, that's a pretty girl down there. Good for her. Jeez, I wonder if she goes out with one of the Yankees. <laughs> that's just that's just my fucking funny bone. Like the stupid jokes like that. With like, he's so delighted that he has something over uh, over Richard. That one's good. Would it, would you have any other rewatchable scenes? Anything I left out? Well, are we talking about fat guy in a little coat? Because that's um, yeah. I had that in that whole sequence, fat guy, in a little coat to the carpenter sing along to the fight scene, to the diner scene. We could, we could isolate fat guy in a little coat as its own thing though. We could do that if you want, because I think it's important. Uh, 
first of all, we, there's a, the story about it is what it wasn't even supposed to be a song, right? It was a bit that Spade um, would have to endure. Farley would do it in the office, in the SNL office. And they said, like, everybody had to go through their office to get to Chris Rock and Adam Sandler's office. And I, I don't even know what it was, but he's doing fat guy in a little coat. And Spade's like, dude, enough already. I don't want to see it. And then it became a song in the movie. I think like an editor or something says, hey, you have to sing that like you did in the outtake. That guy in a little coat. That guy in little gold. Take it off, dickhead. I'm sorry. But not only is it great and it's funny and it's funny to look at and he rips his jacket just further demolishing David Spade. Um, I think it's important in terms of what we're going through right now. I think when we get out of this terrible, uh, this quarantine here, we're all going to be fat guy in a little coat. Not Maybe not fantasy. <laughs> Fantasy's a GQ model, and I'm sure he's going to remain that way. But I am going to be fat guy in a little coat. No one's going to fit their clothes. And I think this is going to be this is going to be our anthem as a country going forward in uh, four, eight, 12, however many weeks um, from so now. So you think, are leave. you saying our entire country is putting on the freshman 15? That's exactly it. I think there are going to be some hardship cases. I don't want to minimize it, but I think most people don't know how to ration calories going forward. And that's going to be a problem. Maybe it's just me in this house, but I do think it's going to be an issue. It's just when you're bored, you just tend to bored eat. And it's like, oh, I'll have some, it's 1130 at night. I'll have some pretzels. I'm definitely, definitely (laughs) trying to do a lot of that. Uh, Sean, most rewatchable scene for you is... I think it's probably the diner scene, but I do want to give one shout out to the end of the movie, essentially the climax of the movie when Tommy gets Zelensky to sign the order for 500,000 brake pads. And then we cut back to the factory and the guy says, Tommy just sold half a million brake pads. And then the black guy in the factory says, Tommy just sold half a million brake pads. And I, I swear to God, I got chills watching it again last night. I couldn't believe how invested in the movie I was. I was like, this is yeah. a fucking great movie. My, uh, my favorite is the first sales meeting with the new guy puking his guts out. That's, yeah. That gets me every time. Every single beat of that, I fucking love the guy's <laughs> reaction of it. Sal, what do you have for most rewatchable? Uh, I went. I went with setting the the model uh, cars on fire and everything. Okay. I just right. I just because I was cringeworthy and and everything else and physically looked beautiful. Yeah. All right. So Sal and I had the same. What's aged the best? I mentioned the opening credits. There's some subtle funny stuff in here, like the uh, Luke, I'm your father with the fan. Yeah. Uh, the Callahan family portraits fucking kill me. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And then our Aunt Eileen took over the business and it's just Farley and Drag. Uh, it's such a subtle thing that it's just great. Um, Rob Lowe's performance has aged the best. He's really good in this movie. He was good in all of these, anything SNL adjacent, whether it was when he hosted any movie he was in, there was this whole comedy side of Rob Lowe that, I certainly wouldn't have predicted in the eighties in any way, shape or form. Uh, we'll get into the story of how he got the part later, but um, I thought he's really good. The, uh, the old lady in the board meeting who's mad that her husband cheated. <laughs> if this factory goes under the whole town goes under. And that's when the whores come in. Here we go. It's just, just like some stealth comedy. <laughs> going to bring the whores, when the whores come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tommy Richard singing songs we mentioned. The whole bees gimmick was really good. I yeah. wonder if people actually tried that 
in different areas, the whole getting pulled over by a car and then pretending bees in there. <laughs> I love that they had the jokes about uh, Spade's hair were right. that they kind of acknowledged because his, his hair is definitely a little weird in this. And they just were kind of like, all right, let's do some jokes about this. And then the last one was when, when Farley's giving this speech to everybody and he's talking about his connections with all different people. And he's like, I lost my virginity to your daughter. And that guy has a reaction. He's like, Bob, you were there. And Bob standing next to the guy and he just like skulks off. RT, I lost my virginity to your daughter for crying out loud. Rob, you were there. Anyway. That's all I got. What else is age the best for you guys? Uh, I was, well, back to the Rob Lowe, Bo Derek stuff. It's like, I even remember at the time thinking Bo Derek was way past her prime. And I guess she, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in the same decade as 10, but she was only 39 years old. Lowe was 31. Uh, Farley and Spade were also 31, but she was 39. So this is like Jennifer Aniston 13 years ago coming on. And you're like, oh man, she's old. You're like, why, 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 why is even the, uh, this a casting choice? But the, the idea that um, we're going to set her up with Brian Dennehy, who I think is 57 at the time. I don't know what I, I wrote 57 down. going on 80. He, he's 57 going on 80. We're okay with them kissing. But as soon as she locks lips with Rob Lowe, it's like, oh, God. Oh, like, <laughs> Wait a minute. Why is this? We, we suspend disbelief for a minute. I know they're supposed to be a, a, a mother and a, and son. But um, I thought that was interesting. I thought they nailed those those uh, that casting right there. And I think uh, you could keep watching that over and over. Um, I had for what stage the worst her haircut because they like intentionally yeah. made her look older. I don't know yeah. if they had to go that far because, as you said, she was still under forty at that point. They tried to make her look like I think she was a little older than maybe she was. Well, how about three um, minutes before she's getting out of the pool and Brian Dennehy's character is like, "Ah, what do you think of that?" And 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 Farley's like, "Well, is that for me?" He's like, "No, that's my, that's me, that's my <laughs> wife." It's like, "Yeah, you're right." And then in the very next scene. She's uh, like the Alice from the Brady Bunch all of a sudden with her hair. It's very strange. Right. Anything else age the best for you, Sean? I I feel like Dennehy is incredible in this movie. He's really going for it. Like he's so overqualified to be in a movie like this. This is like a, <laughs> you know, a legend of the st- the American stage. This guy was in Death of a Salesman. He's obviously like almost weirdly like a callback to make him a great salesman in this movie because he played Willie Loman so many times. And He's just locked in as Big Tom. I, I really, I love that he's like willing to go toe to toe literally with Farley on all the dumb bits. It's it really like that makes movies like this so much better. Like when you cast serious actors in movies like this, it just gives the movies more credibility. It makes them more fun to watch. You get more invested in them. And um, he's also like a dead ringer for Farley. He's perfectly cast. Agree. Yeah. That's a good one. You know, I interviewed him once in Winnipeg, Canada in 2001. Really? What? Yeah. Back before I had enough sway at ESPN to throw my body in front of bad ideas, they were making the season of the Brink movie. It was the first TV movie they were ever making. And he was a star. He was playing Bobby Knight. And they (laughs) sent me to Winnipeg to go do a big piece about the movie. And Dennehy, it was like, honestly, like minus 30. Like, I'm not even kidding. It It was like minus eight real temperature and like minus 38 wind shows, dead of winter. And I'm in Dennehy's trailer. And he's like exactly how you think he was. He was a good guy. We're just basically tape recording a whole thing with him. And I'm just asking him about what was it like to do the Jericho Mile? It was basically like a podcast for a podcast. What was it like to do Tommy Boy? 
And I just remember like he loved Farley, like no surprise. Yeah. But it was Farley had died probably three years earlier than that. And he was just, oh man, you know, it was right. one of those moments. And he's like making himself, you know, a coffee in this fucking trailer. It's 30 degrees below zero outside. <laughs> and he's like getting choked up about Chris Farley. It's just weird. But he's had a, he, if you look at his IMDb, there's a lot of fucking wins in the Brian Dennehy IMDb. Like a mm-hmm. lot. He's, oh yeah. He never, he's incredible. he never became like famous, famous, but. He's he's just around in a lot of ways. Uh, what's age the worst? You mentioned it earlier. Sandusky, Ohio. Tough beat. Yeah, that's not good. Not good at Tough all. Tough one. It really jumps off the screen right away. It's almost like I, I wonder if they could have gone backwards and spent like 50 grand to CGI all the Sandusky stuff and, and change the name with, when the characters are saying the name. Be like, oh, so... Sam and Dusky, Ohio, yeah. or, you know, there's some way they could have fixed it. I don't know. They do do that. No, they do that. Like with the twin towers and like, they go back and take them out of film. It's very strange. Like, and yeah, they could have, it wouldn't have been taken too much time to take uh, the one shot of the sign entering the town uh, population, 29,000, whatever, and taking the three or four oral mentions out of it. But yeah, that was a bad beat. This is just purely from what it was like in 95 versus what it's like 25 years later. The stunt casting of Bo Derek in mm-hmm. 1995 was like a big deal. Like when yeah. Sal and I, Sal and I are almost the same age. Bo Derek was like Marilyn Monroe for two years. She was the championship belt holder of who is the hottest person in the world. And then kind of faded away and nobody, you know, she just, I don't know what she was doing. And then she popped up in this movie. The only thing I can compare it to is like if they made Tommy Boy now, if Britney Spears was the new wife, Hmm. only Britney wasn't even like in Vegas. Like nobody had seen her for 10 years. And then she like popped back up and everybody of the generation that like of now for that, for the 2020 would be like Britney Spears is in this. I think it's like that. It, it, and now that doesn't translate at all. Um, flash dance jokes were really funny, but have gotten progressively less funny as, you know, nobody under 35 knows. I guarantee producer Craig is not, doesn't even know what flash dance is. Right. Sneaking onto an airplane and being the flight attendants, now impossible post 9-11. Yeah, good, good point. In 95, seemed realistic that they could just like, oh yeah, they'll get on the plane. They'll pretend they're flight attendants. Definitely not happening now. By the way, where and were then, they going? Where were they going anywhere? I, I was trying to think they could probably drive to where they wanted to go and in, in not less time, but it wouldn't have been too... Were, were they in... They weren't in Milwaukee trying to go to Chicago because I know that's a 90-minute drive, but... It was, I thought they were in Iowa? Sandusky. I thought they were in Sandusky, Ohio. No. They had, had they gotten back? I think they were back and then they had to like go back out. Oh, really? So that was a Sandusky airport? I don't know. It looked pretty bustling. I, I don't know what was going on there, but you're right. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sandusky International Airport. Uh, And then the last one, what stage the worst. This is just not enough cameos. I feel like between the SNL universe and all the kind of bit parts people had, it's really strange to me that like there's not Norm MacDonald popping up in a scene or Rob Mm -hmm. Schneider, all the people that were in their universe they really played it straight with how they did the movie and, and just tried to have 
random actors, but I, I think they could have had more like, oh, wow, him. Um, yeah. Personally, and I, think, I like that. I like that yeah, they I didn't overload it. I, I, it makes it a better movie. It's not as funny necessarily if you don't have Rob Schneider or Kevin Nealon popping up. You know, we did Happy Gilmore last year. It's great when, you know, Joe Flaherty shows up. And they're like the comedy icons that show up for 10 minutes in those movies. I do like when that happens. But part of the reason why this is actually feels like such a good movie to me is that it doesn't distract you too much. Like even Dan Aykroyd's part in this movie is just an important character who drives the story along. And they kind of like it, it weirdly takes itself seriously. And yeah, it's it's origins are kind of serious. Like Farley's dad owned an oil company. He obviously cares about this part of the country and this part of the world and the people who do these jobs. Like it feels weirdly sincere. And that's part of what I dig about, about it. Sal, yeah. what anything else age the worst for you? Uh, I feel bad, but the Herbie Hancock joke, just like I'm watching with my kids and no one gets it. You know, it's like, yeah, they, my, they, my kids didn't get it back. either. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, who was Herbie Hancock? Like, I can't even really answer that. I was like, well, he was a rock and roll. Well, no, no, he wasn't even that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's someone I knew. He wasn't John Hancock. Let's just put it this way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about Zelensky's character. I understand uh, Aykroyd. It served a purpose and everything, but he was doing the Coneheads voice with the uh, yep. Mel Kiper Jr. look to him. Like, it really, it took me a while to get to get it going like uh and then like at the end like she's going to jail like everything they hang on rob Lowe. bo derrick's getting the same she's getting the same charge and it's like hey you want to go to lunch at my country club like uh <laughs> it's right. a little bit of a stretch that whole last scene how they got the um camera crew in there he's got bomb he's got like flares tied to him um in the illusion that it's a it's bomb going off he had just in everyone's mind, he had just robbed the bank. Um, so you, you would think they'd have a uh, lookout, be on the lookout for him. He's pretty noticeable, but he gets up there with that camera crew to shoot an exclusive, which ends up being nothing but small town uh, hero here, uh, you know, forces a guy to sign a contract that he doesn't want in the first place. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about Aykroyd's character. I had some nitpicks about that scene that we could just do now. Um, it's always it's always a funny device when everybody just happens to be watching the local news during a yeah, work day. Right. It's something that just never ever happens in real life. Like, hey, check the news. Tommy's on. Like who who, who does this? Um and then just uh them letting him into the office or the you know, he basically pretends he has a bomb, which is a felony. Right, right, right. And everybody's like, It's fine, he saved the company. Like, it's tough, but it's a comedy, so you can't uh yeah. You can't go too far on that one. What were you going to say, Sean? There's just one other thing. The The whole movie hinges on these guys going out on the road and selling all these brake pads, right? That's the big, the crux of the story. So they finally do it. They get out there. They sell all the, the brake pads. They get the success. They figure out how to be great salesmen. Then they get back to Sandusky, Ohio. And then as soon as they get back, they're like, well, there was a mistake. Guess we're in trouble again. Like it happens so quickly. Like you don't yeah. even get a chance to process the fact that anything got fucked up. It is a little bit confusing. It's good for, to keep the movie 90 minutes, but um, yeah. we spend all this time thinking about the mechanics of selling brake pads to the United States. And then within <laughs> minutes, like the whole thing just goes belly up. It's just, it happens just a little bit too quickly for me. Yeah. Drunk Rob Lowe is he presses two buttons on a computer and <laughs> everything it. goes to hell immediately. He's a mastermind. Um, <laughs> Casting what ifs. So the original story, which apparently was envisioned by Lauren Michaels, who just wanted to do a Farley movie and um, 
somehow had some of the idea, but he wanted Rob Lowe and the Richard part. And his idea was Chris Farley and Rob Lowe and some version of what this movie became. But Rob Lowe was going to be the foil because he loved Rob Lowe. Uh, that didn't work out because Rob Lowe had a bunch of stuff going on. So Farley really pushed for Spade or Sandler for the role of Richard. And they were going to do Sandler and pursue that. But Sandler was already shooting Billy Madison. So Spade ended up being the third choice. Mm. And I think that was probably the right choice if you look at everything on the table. Rob Lowe in that role, I think, would have been weird. Uh, scheduling conflicts almost forced Rob Lowe to drop out of the film. And they had to have these quickie auditions for a whole bunch of people, one of whom was Matthew McConaughey. I saw that. <laughs> I thought the Rob Lowe thing really worked. McConaughey in that role would have been really fun at that point in his career. That's like two years after Dazed and Confused. It's a year before he does A Time to Kill. Um, I don't know. Would have been fun. Uh, one more. Helen the Waitress. Fantasy's favorite character, originally supposed to be played by Roseanne Barr. Whoa. But she was busy at the time, unable to appear in the film. So they got whoever the lady was. What was she that busy doing? That would have been doing? fun. <laughs> I think she was doing her show. I think probably a good miss for Tommy Boy. Yeah. Uh, best That Guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. This is a stealth, that guy. He's so much of a that guy, I had no idea what his name was. It's one of Tommy's board members. It's the guy who's kind of bald with like bulgy eyes. He was in Fight Club. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm in season one. That guy, his name is Zach Grinier. He is absolutely the winner of this category without question. This guy is an awesome that guy. He's on the, that show Devs that's on FX right now and is, um, is amazing in it. Um, but he is like, if you if you look at his IMDb, he has been in everything he's been on i I think 75 tv shows over the last 30 years um and he's really funny and he has one of the best lines in the movie when he's being filmed uh at the wedding and he's like congratulating big tom and beverly and he's like oh beverly man would i like to get a piece of that today beverly yeah tom you are a lucky man boy but i like to get some of that good lord oh god no Listen, Richard, you got to edit button on that thing. It'll cost you. Come here. Come here, you little prick. <laughs> Great job by that guy. Uh, the Vincent Hanna They Knew Award for Best Overacting. Honestly, you could give Farley in five of these scenes, but that's what makes Farley so great. Right. I'm going with Ackroyd. Yeah. I, I'm with Sal. I was saving my Ackroyd thoughts for this category. Um, but it's weird. I also think you could make a case that he should win the Deion Waiters Award. He's... He filmed all his scenes in two days. He's really yeah. going for it. I don't know what the fuck's going on with his hair. He's doing that crazy. <laughs> it's like a Chicago accent crossed with a Coneheads accent. I make car parts for the American working man because that's what I am and that's who I care about. That's why I'm here, Ray. I'm not really sure what his motivation was in any of this. He's definitely wins the Vincent Hanna Award. I think arguably wins the Dan Waiters. It's very accurate. And this is a point of Ackroyd's career when, you know, he, he kind of moved into a different phase. He wasn't headlining movies or even doing really stuff like this. This is right when he started to resurface. He started doing Bob Dole on SNL again. Uh, and it, it's just weird. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. So Sal thinks either. it's also weird. Sean, what do you think? 
I think sometimes he can be an amazing uh guy like this, like a cameo guy or a guy who comes in for the last 15 minutes of a movie. He does a really good version of this in Gross Point Blank, where he plays like the rival assassin uh, opposite John Cusack. And it works. This one is like a little bit more over the top and a little bit sillier. I I promised myself that I wasn't going to get all pointy headed about this movie and I'm trying not to. But one thing that you like, I think the reason for this character is this movie is like weirdly political about middle class people working in the Rust Belt and how there are like certain figures in the world who are trying to take things away from those people. And the Zelensky character is basically like he's the face of an evil corporation. He's somebody who doesn't care about people. And they literally he literally says that like his catchphrase is about the American working man. And then he literally says behind the scenes, you know, fuck these people. And he he's like important to represent something that it's clear that like Farley actually believes in like his whole family is blue collar. He's from the middle of the country. Like there is some real meaning behind this. And even if Zelensky, the and what Aykroyd is doing is like pretty over the top and stupid. Like, I do think you need that guy in the movie. I guess I, my I issue is I, I didn't think he was evil enough. Yeah. He, he's kind of in no man's land where it's like, is this a good guy? Is this a bad guy? And I don't think Aykroyd really knew how far he wanted to go with the evil part of this. I think he should have been like 20% more evil. He should have been more so, Vince McMahon-ish. That that's the thing. Like there was no clear villain in this movie. The the struggle and the conflict was created by Farley himself for not being able to to sell parts and everything. It's like, oh, so that's what he had to overcome. But you would think if this was a typical movie, one of the three uh suits that hung out with Dennehy character, one of them would have been completely, completely against Farley taking over the, mm. the company. As it was, it was just like one loudmouth foreman who would kind of speak up every now and then. And then, yeah, then you take it to, um, then you take it to Aykroyd's character and it's like, yeah, even he wasn't over the top uh, uh, villainous, you know? And if you look at it, it's so funny. I, I always thought about that. Maybe you thought differently. Like, I'm like, oh, they're throwing Aykroyd a pity role here, but this guy worked. I mean, Coneheads was 93. And if you look at his IMDb from 94 to like 2001, he was in like four productions a year. Maybe nothing great. You know, I'm not talking like it wasn't Titanic or anything, but he was busy. He was freaking busy. And it was like, it makes you think differently about Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Um, I have no idea who wins the Dan Waiters Award. I, I guess it could be him because he definitely does jump off the screen. It's not my favorite performance. Is there any other Dion Waiters heat check people? I think it's Rob Lowe. Yeah, it could be Rob Lowe. Is he in the movie too much, though, is my question. He's basically only got four scenes. And he's, you know, he's really funny in, um, in the cow tipping scene. Does it make a difference? Oh, yeah. Wait a second. Is this your first time? Yeah, Tommy, it is. God, you're going to remember this the rest of your life. Can't believe you've never been cow tipping before. Yeah. Okay. If he's eligible, I agree. Rob Lowe is the winner. Rob Lowe's Brothers got a hug. Brothers don't shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, when are we doing an entire Rob Lowe podcast? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> uh, he's had a complicated life. I'm not sure if that's safe for public consumption. <laughs> I'm more interested. His IMDb is kind of fantastic. Yeah. He made a lot of movies that I really liked. Yeah, he he also has uh he has like an SNL movie villain sweet spot, you know? He's he's really funny in the Austin Power in Austin Powers 2, and he's obviously like he's pretty much iconic in Wayne's World. His character in Wayne's World is incredible. Um I think he's he's weird. It's like he's simultaneously incredibly famous, incredibly successful. Everybody knows who Rob Lowe is. 
But at the same time, it's like, has he actually ever done anything like authentically great in his career? I, I don't uh, I don't know. You, you, know what he's done? you know what he's done that's great? He constantly looks like he's 27 years old, years later. That's true. And if there's so a fucking Rushmore, handsome. I mean, who is it? It's 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 Rob Lowe, it's Jason Bateman, it's uh it's John Stamos. Is there even a fourth or is it just those three? Um Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I think he had some well, help along the way. <laughs> Rob Lowe is definitely. These guys are in their 50s. Rob Lowe is the vice president of the I wouldn't want to leave my wife alone with him for three minutes club. Gotcha. Costner, Costner being the president because we saw it in action at the Grantland party. Oh, right. When right, right. the moment he showed up, every woman at the party was like, if he even motions toward me, I'm out. I'm out with whoever <laughs> I'm with. I'm going home with him. So we saw it happen. I'm going to read you the Rob Lowe IMDb really quick because he made more really entertaining movies than you think. The Outsiders, Class. Uh, I'm just doing my favorites. Oxford Blues. I stand by. Oxford Blues, solid movie. San Almost Fire, Young Blood, About Last Night. Masquerade is is kind of dated, but was like a solid erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, Bad Influence, Spader. I stand by that one. Wayne's World. Tommy Boy, mm-hmm. Austin Powers. It's pretty solid, like two decade run there. So yeah. there's like 10 entertaining movies. He is horrible in St. Elmo's Fire as the saxophone <laughs> player. That's like one of the worst performances of the last 100 years. It's like, How it's dare you? It's How dare you? Roger, do we have to do that on the rewatchables? He's what? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like St. Elmo's Fire, but Lowe is so bad. Where did he stand on about last night? That's good. I do like that, actually. Okay. I, I defend Rob Lowe's movie career. <laughs> hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, two times. And if you're completely insane, three times. Anyway. Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. Uh, Recasting Couch, if you could recast any part in this movie. Uh, apologies to Bo Derek. I would have gone better actress, mm. and but it also needs to be somebody where there's a nostalgia wheelhouse in place. Phoebe Cates comes out mm. of the pool, little fast oh, yeah. times at Ridgemont High throwback when she's in the pool. She's never stopped looking great. I don't know what she looks like now, but I guarantee she looks great. Um, I think she could have carried the sex appeal thing, and I think she's a way better actress than Bo Derek, who was an absolutely abysmal actress. I mean, really <laughs> an atrocious actress. So that's my pick. Do you guys have one? 
You lose the 10 joke. That's the only thing you lose if you don't have Bo Derek. It's like, wow, she's a 10, which was kind of was funny. And obviously younger people aren't going to pick up on that. You know what I was going to? I had written down Michelle for this. And I know you did a deep dive on her. But I think like I kind of think it works because I think they went for the size disparity. And if she is four foot nine, four foot 10, as you say, that's perfect. And it's worth it just to have her on the uh, boat in the beginning. For Julie Warner, so who yeah, would you have? Who would you have had instead of her? Uh, I, I had her written down, but you talked me out of it. So actually, okay. go to Sean and I'll figure it out. Well, right. I was thinking about this because we just did Happy Gilmore. What if we just swapped uh, Julie Warner with Julie Bowen? Would that have been better? Nineteen ninety-five era Julie Bowen. Ooh. Julie Bowen. Yeah. The thing is, though, I guess I am. I have a thought on this. I want to save for later. Uh, so, what would you one have? Thing, one thing about Phoebe Cates is you know, she would have been only 32 years old in 1995. So I don't think that would have been tough as, as far as the age disparity, like Sal pointed out that Bodar was only 39, like 32 right. would have been much closer to Tommy than to, to, than a to big Tom. Fair, fair point. More wisdom from Sean. Uh, <laughs> half fast internet research. Rob Lowe is uncredited. He was filming the stand and felt weird about doing another movie. So he did it because he loved Chris Farley. They were friends. Uh, Farley did all his own stunts. David Spade tells a whole story about um, him and Farley got an actual altercation on the set. Yeah. Because Spade had gone out to drinks with Rob Lowe and Farley was jealous and kept going, how's Rob Lowe? How's Rob Lowe? Just bugging him about it. And Spade threw his Diet Coke on him and Farley threw him against a wall and he ended up going falling down some stairs. And Spade walked off the set, refused to continue filming and they went like hours without speaking to each other, which apparently they did all the time. Like sometimes they would just get mad at each other and they would just talk to the director, th- you know, to get messages to the other guy. And it sounds like they were like eight year olds. It's great. I love yeah, all the, the research I, on this movie is funny. Apparently, like they did ask Farley to go out, but he was too sick to go. Out. I mean, what, what what does that mean for Chris Farley to be too sick yeah, to seriously. go out? And Yikes. then they went out without him and he got he got upset. And it ends. Yes. Yeah, part of that is he crushes. uh Spades tuna sandwich or something, which I thought was funny. Bo Derek was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actress. So yeah. congrats to her. Um, both the name of the lady who was the naked woman in the pool, even though we never saw her naked, was uh, Lori Bagley. And apparently both Spade and Farley ended up dating her after the movie. Wow. And, uh, and it caused tension with them on the set of Black Sheep because I don't know who dated her first and who was upset about who. So who knows there. Uh, original work and title of this movie was Billy the Third, a Midwestern. But Lauren Michaels was working on Billy Madison, wanted them to change it. Um, other names considered, Sal. Fat Chance. Mm. And uh, imagine how much Ebert would have hated that. Oh, yeah. And uh, and XL. <laughs> XL. <laughs> Tommy Boy is such a perfect name for this. I don't understand how they ever I thought I saw Rocky Road. Did you see Rocky Road as one of the titles, Sean? I thought I saw one of the- I uh, saw that too, yeah. 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 I like Billy the Third, a Midwestern. That's that's pretty highfalutin. (laughs) It's a good one. Uh, Apex Mountain. Chris Farley, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. You guys agree? 100%. Yeah. David Spade? Kind of has to. I'm going to say yes. My son would say it's grownups. My son knows him as the grownups guy. Like the the under 20 generation knows Spade, uh, Kevin James, all those dudes. They're all the grownups people because that's like one of the big movies for 
people under 20. They've but would you dream, would you dream of giving, uh, Mike or the mad dog an apex moment without each other? Like you wouldn't, right? Like, no, like, it has it, to be both. It, it had to be. Yeah. Julie point. Warner, Julie Warner. I'm going to say yes. I think this is no, Doc in- Hollywood, Doc Hollywood, <laughs> man. Really? Yeah. There's a, really? there's a, a, an emerging from the water moment in Doc Hollywood that's pretty important for Julie Warner, similar to Bo Derrick's moment. Oh, I have to hey, watch. go into my, fu- yeah, that's not bad. I think Tommy Boy's definitely lived on more than Doc Hollywood, though. Just, just talking about Julie Warner, though, just her, her apex. Just rewatch Doc Hollywood. Tell me what you think. That's another case for her being not five foot two, but four foot ten, because Michael J. Fox is taller than her in that movie. And That's a he's, good point. She, he's definitely tiny. That's a good um, call. Apex Mountain, the Midwest. <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> really? Uh, I don't know about that. The Packers win the Super Bowl the next year. There's just a lot of good stuff going on in Wisconsin that year. Field of Dreams no? was where? I don't know. Wisconsin? I don't know. Wisconsin? <laughs> Apex Mountain? Uh, brake pads. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think Bill, so. could you describe what a brake pad does? I could not. <laughs> Do you want to know? Could not. Neither could uh, Tommy I, Boy. <laughs> any other Apex Mountains, or should we move on? Uh, how about Holy Shnikes? Holy Shnikes! Hey, get my- I like that. And, uh, and if you read about it... Um, Farley claims he took it from John Candy, which in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which this movie resembles a great deal if you go back yeah. and uh, and compare the parallels. But uh, holy shnikes are good. And I just like, oh, son of a. I like son of a. When you can't say son of a bitch, you just get son of a. He used it a lot, about a dozen times. Picking nits. I don't have a couple. It's hard to pick nits with a comedy that's ridiculous. How hard yeah. would it be to drive on the highway without a driver's side door <laughs> I just feel like it's way harder than maybe the movie gave it i know you can put your seatbelt on right the i think the wind would be really bad though and you'd just be way more scared i would imagine yeah especially in the fall with the i mean you see the leaves are turning um although he graduated yeah, it's tough to tell if it's the fall or i think it's tough the tough. fall but anyway yeah they're, they're driving through kind of cold country there yeah, and then, and then there's a, basically a whole convertible stretch for them, too, which in the Midwest, you're basically looking at May, June, July, and that's the only, do, in August, those are the only doable driving right. around on the highway, the convertible weather. But if mm-hmm. that's the case, then Farley's way sweatier. Because oh, yeah. you're talking like it's 100 degrees. Like he's just, sweat becomes a character in this movie. So I, I don't know what what season we're in with this movie. Um <laughs> I, Tommy Sr. was rich enough that I feel like he's at least having somebody research his fiance. At least, uh, not a bit. Hey, you have your friend at the uh, Sandusky police station. Like, you should run a background check. This smoking hot lady in her 30s who's suddenly interested in this old rich guy. I, I don't know. Where did they meet? At a retreat or something? Or was it a spa? And they worked there I together? Think it, I I think it was a weight loss camp. Oh, that's what it was, it was. A weight loss camp. Yeah, that's right. Which is a weird. So let's just like unpack Bo Derek's character's grift here. So she gets a job as like a coach slash counselor at a weight loss camp so that she can meet overweight, wealthy guys and then marry them and then hope they <laughs> die. Like what's the what was the move here? Right. <laughs> and, then, and then here's here's my 
handsome son, Rob Lowe, who's only three, <laughs> three years younger than I am. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's tough. Um, would it be that easy? We mentioned this earlier in 1995 to hack Julie Warner's computer and change hundreds of break bad sales that were across the country. I still feel like best case scenario, that's three hours of Rob Lowe's day. Just, just changing all the totals around. I don't, I don't know. The movie makes it seem like he's just in there for one minute, presses two keys, and then everything gets fucked up. Yeah. Also, here's another thing. He's an idiot. He's not uh he's not that much smarter than uh than Tommy Boy, really. I mean, this is a guy can't can't even shoot out a tire on the trucks. He's having trouble. Everything he does, he's uh he's you know, he can't, what does he do? He's peeing on the uh the uh, reactor there and sparks right. go up. So everything flies in his face. We're supposed to think he has this, uh, he's computer savvy. He goes on, like you said, she was probably away from her desk for like three to five minutes. And he changes all these orders, dozens and dozens of orders and knows exactly where to jump in <clears throat> and out. I don't, it's I don't tough. Vibe. It does lead to one of my favorite scenes though, which is when he actually breaks in and he changes all the numbers. And then Julie Warner's character comes in and he walks away from the computer and he leans oh, yeah. against the chute. And the shoot rips his shirt off. And right. uh, he very quickly says, you know, between that and the sweetness, I'd say hang on to him and then walks out with no shirt on. It's really <laughs> some good some good low in that scene. Right. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? God, no. No. Don't. How about this? Don't remake this movie. Stay away. Uh, best quote. We mentioned a lot of them. Just had a couple more. A lot of people go to college for seven years. I know they're called doctors. <laughs> Did you hear I finally graduated? Yeah, and just a shade under a decade, too. All right. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. Great line. Um, when Farley does the, uh, that, 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 I'm retarded. Like, I know we're not supposed to say that <laughs> word anymore, but the way he, the way he delivers that with, which he would do on SNL too, but he had that like self-deprecating. He would do that on the on the Chris Farley show SNL sketch too, when uh, when he would have the guests on and he would try to talk and he would just get so flustered and then he would just start hitting himself in the head. I always his like self abuse of I'm such a moron I can't believe yeah. I did that was like one of his best tricks. Enjoyed that. Uh, did you eat a lot of paint chips as a kid? Why? And then I like when Spade says, I just barfed on an anthill. I think they're pissed when he's drunk. I thought it was a good line. <laughs> Any other quotes we didn't mention on the podcast yet? How about uh, I could get a good look at a steak by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. It <laughs> took him the entire movie to get right. And then it was, uh, it was so gratifying when he actually did. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. I can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. It was good. Yeah, he nailed the landing finally. Yeah, yeah we should have put that in what's age the best. <laughs> um, unanswerable question. Probably unanswerable questions. I only have two. Are we sure Bo Derek didn't kill Tommy Sr.? Yeah. You think was, she poisoned him? I, Mar- thinking- I mean, her whole thing is it's a grift and she wants to marry him and then hope he dies because she's fat. They have the wedding and he dies during the reception and... I don't know. It's a, it, it, it feels like there might have been a murder. I was thinking the same thing. What would have been a better way to reveal that she's, uh, you know, she's this is a, not a legit, this is not a kosher arrangement to show her spiking his drink during the ceremony or 
a couple of scenes later where we just see them embracing. I don't know. I, I think uh, I think you're right. Or they do Could the happen. toxicology report and it's time mm-hmm. to when they had that Zelensky meeting and it's like right. we just found he's he had this crazy thing and we found the bottle in your room. I, I guess it would have been too much of a yeah, too much of a detour. But yeah, you guys, you guys wanted, wanted this to be it. like presumed innocent or something. <laughs> it's Tom's <laughs> boy. <laughs> it just bothers me that Zelensky ends up dating her at the end, theoretically. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then Tommy and uh, Julie Warner, were they dating? Were there, was it a sexual relationship at any point? She's not on the boat at the end. They went on one date. We don't, we never saw them kiss or have any affection. But yet I feel like it's his girlfriend in the movie, but she definitely wasn't. She was about yeah. to di- ditch him and leave when she thought she screwed up the brake pad. Or, well, how, Sal, how did their next six months play out? It's so funny. Do you remember, Simmons? You might have been gone by now, but one of the very first years Jimmy did the upfronts, uh, the ABC upfronts, where he presents, he does like a basically a 10 minutes of stand-up. Uh, as the advertisers sit there and decide what if they're going to write a check or not. Um, he was going to present the bit and we had it shot and everything. And it was called, it was for a new ABC sitcom called Fat Guy with a Beautiful Wife. And um, Jimmy I was remember in that, it. yeah. Yeah. And Rebecca Romaine was in it and they shot like three scenes. And it was very similar to a lot of stuff that was on TV. And they brought it to the upfronts. ABC was okay with it. And then they realized they had three comedies like that were just like it. Like, uh, we can't parody this because this is exactly how our fall lineup is going to roll out. It so, hit too close to um, home. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, I think she's, I think it could work for them. I really do. I don't think she was too, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Tommy Boy and Bo Derek. It was, uh, you know, this kind of meek, um, character who was like cute, and uh, I, th- I think it would have worked. I think they could could last. Sean, I don't know if the boat could last. <laughs> I, I I believe in the possibility of love between Julie Warner and Chris Farley. <laughs> That's it's great. Physic- physically, it's terrifying because she, as we've learned, she's four foot six and he's right. six foot right. seven, seven hundred pounds. So that's scary. <laughs> but otherwise, I think they're great together. Uh, who won the movie is usually our last category. This one's pretty easy. It's Chris Farley. He won. The oh, movie. it is. Oh, you think so? Oh, wow. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. Won the movie. <laughs> we did. I did cast away by myself a couple weeks ago, and that was the most convincing who won the movie ever. But <laughs> this is this is up there. It's in the mix for for most convincing. This is a Chris Farley movie. Um, hey, this was really fun. Sal, any last words? Your first rewatchables pod. Well, this is great. This, you know, I I don't know. I sit home. I'm thinking, Sean. Maybe I, I think of it differently in these tough times. Um, I kind of look at, well, what would I be doing right now? Maybe the Mets would probably be one in five. Uh, DeGrom would be battling tendonitis in his elbow. I try to think worst case scenario, what I'm missing. Simmons, you know, I would have had Kansas on a crazy money line parlay and they lost like in the third round. So oh, yeah. th- this is what I'm thinking. But I also, when I look, think back at this movie, who would have been better to do a coronavirus PSA right now than Chris Farley to scream at people. We saw Larry David. He half-assed kind of threw one. He got it. It pained him to do one, but Chris Farley would have scared the shit out of everybody into staying home. And, uh, for many reasons, but for that reason also, I miss him. That's, that was well said. And as you were saying it, I just realized how much money you would have lost during March madness. (laughs) (laughs) You're the only person who's, 
Actually, actually, the financially, the coronavirus has been better for you because of all the money you're not losing. Exactly. March Madness, yeah. you just got killed every year. Yeah, I know. You don't have to remind Congrats. me. <laughs> Sean, any last words? We're just sharing this beautiful memorial for the late beloved Chris Farley. And all you guys can think about is how you're not being degenerates <laughs> gambling right now. So, incredible stuff for both of you. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it for the rewatchable. Sean, Sean and Sal, this is a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Bill. All right. That's it for the rewatchables. If you want to get a jump start on movies we're doing next week, the first one is Total Recall, the good one, the one that matters. Oh, yeah, that one. And then the second one will be Enemy of the State. So those are two really, really good rewatchables, and you can watch them this weekend. Check both of them out. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're not getting too down about all this stuff. We're going to be here. We're going to have a whole bunch of content for you to take your mind off uh, as much as we can. Um, stay safe. Listen to the doctors. Listen to the scientists. Talk to you soon.